A few months ago, I had the opportunity to play a game called Werewolf. The game is played with at least seven or more players, and each player is assigned a specific identity and role. Either they are a doctor, a villager, a spy, or the werewolf, which they will need to act and play out in the game. The goal is to save the innocent people by finding out who the werewolf is and eliminate him from the game. If not, the werewolf will win and take the innocent people out of the game. Usually, the one who plays the identity of a werewolf is made obvious based on how sketchy he acts or speaks. During one of the rounds, I had the opportunity to play as one of the spies. A spy in the game had a special ability to secretly ask the moderator what the real identity of the other players are. One per round. And so at the end of each round, I, together with another spy, would know for sure if a player is telling the truth or not simply by matching his words, actions, and behavior with his real identity. What I've realized is that no matter how well another player would try to convince us that he is not the werewolf and why we should not vote him out, we would know because his identity has already been revealed to us. In this game we played, knowing your identity or who you are is crucial because it will lead you to speak, to act, and to behave according to that identity. In our passage today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, the Apostle Paul teaches the believers their new identity in Christ so that they can align their lives, their actions, and their behavior according to their new identity in Him. How true is it even today when we don't know our identity, who we are in Christ, and how it should affect our lives, that we are bound to act incompatibly with our identity, which will reflect in our behavior, in our perspectives, in our relationship, in our everyday activities. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we will tend to adopt a way of living promoted by the world, and we have the tendency to carry it even inside the church. This is so evident in our passage today, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul was writing to the believers in Ephesians or in Ephesus, a church that was marked by division, by prejudice, by hatred, by hostility, by tension. He was addressing an issue in the church for the people, the Jews and the Gentiles, to set aside their differences, their racial, cultural, and religious differences, and live in peace and unity with each other. This hostility and tension in the church came as a result of a lack of understanding of their new identity in Christ. We know in the Old Testament that the Jews were privileged to be God's chosen people. God separated them as a distinct nation for Himself. God gave them the law, the temple, and told them how they are to live as God's people so that other nations, other people will see how great a God He is. While on the other hand, the Gentiles or everyone who is not Jewish were regarded as unclean, impure, idolatrous worshippers of pagan gods and rejected by God. This old way of thinking and treatment of the Jews towards the Gentiles was being carried into the church and it is a problem because the church is supposed to be where everyone was equal before God in Christ. 
This also happens today, even in the church, when you put together people who are very different. There are those who are religious, the holy, the serious, to the point that they would be shocked or annoyed to see in the church someone who they would consider as a bad person in their community. They would be shocked and perhaps when they enter the sanctuary, they would look at them from head to toe and toe to head and perhaps with judgment. The so-called holy, religious, the very spiritual group of people would avoid sitting beside the unholy or the irreligious. Or perhaps someone who they know is a womanizer, a drug addict, a gambler, and so on. Or at worst, even when they had already come to know the Lord, the holy would require them a complete list of requirements before they can truly be accepted in the church community. On the other hand, the unholy, the irreligious, the not-so-serious would regard those who are holy, religious, and spiritual as someone who is boring, too serious, and perhaps they are not fun to be with. The Apostle Paul is teaching the believers in Ephesus that in the church, it ought to be different. He was challenging them to look beyond their differences and to embrace their new identity in Christ together. What does our new identity in Christ mean? And how can we live out this new identity today? Much more, how can we be the church that God intended us to be? Number one, Remember where you came from so that you can appreciate what God has done in your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul tells the Gentile believers in verse 11, Therefore, remember, he is using an imperative, a command to look back and to intentionally remember where we came from and how none of us had any hope when we didn't know Christ. That you were once in the past, Gentiles in the flesh, they were pagans worshipping many gods. They were very far from God. They were also called or labeled as the circumcised. This is something that they are familiar with in their minds during that time when someone calls you uncircumcised. It is not simply a description of a physical form, but it is also a derogatory label. A categorization made by those who belong to the circumcised group the Jews which God or whom God has blessed and chosen to be His people. And so being the uncircumcised implies that one is not part of God's chosen people. Paul reminds them in verse 12, five things referring to their former condition before they met Christ. He says that at that time, you were without Christ. They were separated from the Messiah, the one who could save them from their sins. They were second, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. They were not a part of God's people. Their father is not God, but it is the devil. 
They were sons of disobedience and they could not enjoy the blessings of God's protection, of God's love, promises, guidance, and the benefits that were given to God's people. Having no hope, and they also were without God in this world. You know, this is the greatest problem. They do not have the solution. Yes, they may be worshipping a lot of gods, small g, but apart from Christ, they were without the real true God, the God of Israel. Thus, their lives were without hope, without purpose, senseless, and headed nowhere. We were awful before Christ saved us. I know many of us here would identify that we were the same, hopeless and without direction apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We were nothing. We just followed whatever the ways of the world and the crowd are. I remember myself before I came to know the Lord, I also had no direction and no sense of purpose or meaning in life. As such, I just followed whatever is the in thing during those times. If the hairstyle is spiked, I do a spiky hairstyle. If it's semi-calbo, I'll do semi-calbo. If it's undercut, I'd have undercut. Then there's flat top and so on. So I'll have flat top. If it's one-sided, left side, I'll do left side. If it's right side, then right side. Since I had no direction, I just followed whatever is in. But finally, when I became a Christian, I stopped following what's in and stuck with what is the best hairstyle of all time. And it's the pastor hairstyle. The one-sided. Joke lang. Yes, we are without hope, without meaning, without direction until we knew the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, which is the turning point of this passage, the Apostle Paul says, But now, I like the word but because it signifies contrast. He says, In Christ, when one is united in Christ or one has a personal relationship with Him by believing in Him, we are no longer hopeless we are no longer the people described in verses 11 and 12. We have a new identity, no longer separated from God, but we have been brought near to God through the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a story about two brothers. Their father had a large farm, and when he was too old to work, he called his sons to him. I am too old to work anymore, he said. I will divide my farm in half and give each one of you one half. I know that you will always work together and will be good friends. So the brothers lived on adjoining farms, but then they had a deep quarrel about an issue, and for many years they had not spoken to each other. They had often shared their resources, but that practice stopped, and there was nothing left between the two except for bitterness. One morning, one of the brother, brothers, John, heard a knock at his door. It was a carpenter. The carpenter was looking for work and asked if there was any work for him to do. John said that there was something he could do. He took the carpenter to the two properties, to where the two properties met, and showed him how the other brother had taken a bulldozer and created a creek that separated his farm from his brothers. John said, I know he did this. To make me angry. I want you to help me get even by building a big fence so I won't have to see him or his property 
ever again. So the carpenter worked hard all day. When he reported back to John, John noticed that there was no fence. Instead, the carpenter had used his skill to build a bridge between the two farms. When John's brother, who was angry at him, saw the bridge, he was surprised, he was moved, and he said, After all the terrible things I have done to you over the years, I can't believe that you would build a bridge and welcome me back. There, the two brothers met, embraced, and were finally reconciled to each other. Although it seemed like an intentional mistake that the carpenter built a bridge instead of a wall, it gives us a picture of how Christ, who is God-man, sinless and perfect, was able to, to mediate, to bridge the gap that separated God from man because of sin. It pictures how our relationship with God, which was separated, is now changed because of what Christ has done. We are given a new identity. We are reconciled back to God, forgiven, restored, because of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 11 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It is not religion, it is not performance, it is not our attendance at church, not our religiosity that makes us accepted and reconciled back to God, but it is through Christ's work alone that we have this new identity. We are reconciled and that apart from Christ, we would remain separated from God and our lives would remain awful and without hope. Remember where you came from so that you can appreciate what God has done in your life. I believe this is not only true in our relationship with God, but also true even in other aspects of our lives. When people, our relatives, Friends, do not remember their past and how awful they were before you helped them. It leads them to feelings of entitlement, ungratefulness, and pride. But when we always remember our roots, where we came from, and how God and how people has blessed us to where we are today, it will help us become more grateful and more appreciative, not only of what God has done, but appreciative even to others who have helped us along the way. Friends, we are called to be a people who remember what we were, where we came from, so that we can appreciate how much God has blessed us today. Number two, understand Christ's sacrifice on the cross so that we can enjoy the privileges we now have because of Him. In verses 14 to 18, the Bible mentions the results because of what Christ did on the cross and how this affects our new identity of being reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is peace for the believers. There is unity in the body of Christ, whether Jewish or of Gentile origin. And there is open access by the Spirit to the Father. 
Notice how the Bible builds the idea of being at peace not only with God but also with one another as the body of believers as the result of the reconciling work of Christ on the cross. Paul wants the believers to understand that while we may have differing backgrounds, distinctions, Jews or Gentiles, we also have, however, a greater, a new identity that supersedes these physical and earthly distinctions because Christ's work on the cross have broken down those barriers of hostility. Notice in verses 14 to 18 how Paul emphasizes the idea of being reconciled to each other in the body of Christ. He says, verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Christ made the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, one, and He has broken down the middle wall of separation. What was Paul referring to here with the middle wall of separation? He was referring to the structure of the Jewish temple. The temple was an integral part in the lives of the Jews. It was one of their distinct privileges as God's people to be able to worship and to approach God's presence which resided or dwelt in the temple during those times. There were three main areas in the Jewish temple and various dividing walls built in it. There is the court of the Gentiles, which is the outermost part, the court of the Jews, which is a bit closer to the third area, the inner part, which has the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. So if you are a Gentile, you can only go until the court of the Gentiles, which is the farthest from God's presence because there was that middle wall of separation that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And that middle wall of separation prevented the Gentiles from coming closer because, again, they were considered ceremonially unclean, unworthy, unholy. Therefore, they cannot come near to God. Pretty much if you are in GCCP, the Jews or the holy or the religious or the super spiritual or the first class citizens or the rich are inside the sanctuary participating in worship while all the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the sinners, the unreligious, the rebellious, the poor are outside the gate under the sun. Much worse, they would not be allowed to enter in the sanctuary. Paul referred to this wall of separation to symbolize the racial, the social, and the spiritual separation that had kept the Jews and Gentiles apart. That was still that old mindset that was being carried inside the church. In Christ, the Bible says that this dividing wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles and had, that had prohibited the Gentiles' access into the temple has already been abolished through Christ's death on the cross. What does this mean? 
that now, regardless of your race, of your religious culture, your spiritual background, or your personal background, by virtue of their faith in Christ, everyone can now approach God and have a personal relationship with Him and worship Him in His holy temple. In Christ, God abolished the middle wall of separation that symbolized the hostility of division, segregation, discrimination in the church. When you are a Christian, a believer, there should not be any form of discrimination for you. You know, I'm glad that in our church, I am a living testimony of that. Being a non-Chinese, I feel, I feel well-loved and accepted in our church community and privileged to have been given the opportunity to serve God alongside our church staff and members. While the church remains distinct in its mission and purpose, we welcome all people from all backgrounds in our church. This is what Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28 speaks about. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The reason why we can be reconciled and at peace with each other is because in Christ, everyone was equally alienated from God, equally dead in sin, equally hopeless, but now Christ, in Christ, all equally forgiven, reconciled through the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us were saved in Christ and He did it for a purpose. In verses 15, He says, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The purpose for why Christ abolished the dividing walls symbolically between Jews and Gentiles was in verse 15, to create him in Himself a new man from the two. By breaking down the barriers, Christ made it possible to bring both Jews and Gentiles together in one new man, one new group, which is the church. I like how the word that was used for new here was kainos, which refers to new in terms of quality and kind. This is not the new like a new item replacement when your phone is damaged, where they replace the item with new, but it is the same model or the same version. But it is new, kainos new, which is in terms of quality and kind. It refers to something completely new, totally different, something of better quality, something that has never existed before. So God is creating something new out of the two, Jews and Gentiles combined into one. It is no longer Jews and no longer Gentiles, but it is one body, one church, one people of God, and Christ has made us all one in Him. Look at Paul's logic in verse 17. And, at, and He came to preach peace to you who were afar off and to those who are near. Christ came and preached peace and salvation to you both, Jews and Gentiles, to those who think they are far from God, the unholy, and to those who think they are near to God, the religious, so that none of them, no one, can brag or be arrogant about themselves. And in Christ, we were put together and reconciled and are now equally part of this new entity, which is the church, 
the saved people of God, which is a better and a greater race. Yes, we can remain distinct and different from each other, but there can be peace and unity with everyone in Christ. It doesn't matter where you come from, what skin color you have, what physical distinctions you look like, how you smell, or what language you speak. Christ's offer of salvation is available for everybody, and in His church, there should be no distinction between people because everyone can now draw near to God through the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I like how our church welcomes all and how there are no special privileges, no VIP treatments to anyone here. Whether you are the richest or the poorest, you can attend the same service, you can listen to the same sermons, they go through the same protocols, they are given the same privileges as a member. They can both find a spiritual home here in our church and have the same opportunities to serve willingly. I have seen how many of you who are used to air condition that at the church, when you serve at the church ground, you serve joyfully with a smile, even if it's under the heat of the sun. And we truly praise God for that. Because this ought to be the case in our church. You know, in Christ, we have been reconciled not only with God, but also with His people, the church. In verse 18, in addition to being reconciled to God and with each other, those who are in Christ also have something that they never had before. They now both have access and entry into the very presence of God by means of one spirit. Verse 18, for through Him, through Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. For us to better appreciate this, we need to know the religious background and context of the people Paul was writing to. The Jews back then were accustomed to the temple as the center for their religious practice. The temple is where worship rituals and sacrifices were strictly carried out according to the ceremonial laws. But what is most significant about the Jewish temple is the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. Not everyone was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. It is the most sacred place in the Jewish temple that only the holiest person, the high priest, can enter it, and only once every year. Once every year so that they can offer sacrifices, sprinkle blood for the temporary forgiveness of the sins on behalf of the people. It is also dangerous in that the high priest who enters it are required to be ceremonially clean and blameless as well. Otherwise, they would drop dead. So there are strict ceremonial requirements before one can approach God. Some historians say that there would be some priest who would enter but never come out alive because of sin. What they would usually do to know if the priest the high priest is dead or alive inside, is to tie a bell on the garments of the priest. So when the priest walks in, the bell rings. But when the bell is no longer ringing, it means the priest is no longer moving. They would check and just carefully pull the body of the priest out of the Holy of Holies. Access to God was very limited. You cannot just approach Him or enter the Holy of Holies anytime you want. In fact, it is so sacred and access is so limited that there is a thick veil that separates it from the holy place. 
if a while ago there was a middle wall or a dividing wall of separation that separated the Gentiles from the Jews, here, there is a veil that separated God who is perfect and holy from man who, who are sinners and unrighteous. The veil is not the normal curtain that we see around our sanctuary. According to biblical scholars, the veil is around 60 feet long, 30 feet high, and 4 inches thick. It was braided with different kinds of braiding and it requires more than 200 to 300 priests to carry and install them. It separated man from the holy God and no one can just approach the presence of God anytime. Because of our sinfulness and God's holiness, access to God was so limited until Jesus came. Jesus came to earth to live and to die on our behalf. He was our substitutionary atonement. Instead of humanity offering themselves as a sacrifice for the temporary forgiveness of sins, Jesus Christ, who is righteous and perfect, took our place, died on our behalf so that God's wrath will be appeased and man's sin fully paid for so that once and for all, our sin problem will be dealt with and forgiveness and reconciliation would be made available for everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way for that thick veil that separated God from man to be broken down was for God himself to break it. Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus died on the cross, it says, Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This symbolized that the barrier separating God and man has already been broken, that the death of our Savior, His blood on the cross was sufficient was a sufficient atonement and payment for our sins. And more importantly, it signified that access to God, the Holy of Holies, was now made open once and for all, for all people, for all time, that anyone who is in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, has now been granted access to the Heavenly Father through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer need high priests, to represent us or to offer prayers and sacrifices on our behalf once a year. We have Christ and through Christ, we can have a direct access to our Heavenly Father. I remember when I was still in elementary, we had no cell phones back then, but only what we called pager. And I remember that before you can send messages to your siblings, to your parents, or to your friends, you have to call the operator. You have to say your message to the operator and the operator will be the one to send it to the pager. Imagine how hard and how awkward it will be if someone has a personal message to his or her partner. How would you say it? Hello, babe. I miss you so much. Mua, mua, chup, chup. Diba awkward? We're, we praise God for cell phones these days. In Christ, we no longer need operators. We no longer need high priest, to convey our messages to God. In Christ, my prayer as a pastor and your prayers as believers are now on equal footing. Both are effective because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Understand Christ's sacrifice on the cross so that you can enjoy the privileges we now have because of Him. By faith in Christ, we now have been reconciled to God 
We do not need to perform religion to earn our salvation. Christ has already bridged the gap that separated us from God. By faith in Christ, we also have peace, not only with God, but also with His people, the church, because we have a common denominator, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith in Christ, the sin barrier that separated God from man has already been paid for, and we have been granted open access to our Heavenly Father. We can approach and go to Him boldly through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much spiritual privileges because of Christ. Take advantage of it. Before you go somewhere, go to God first. Before you do something, ask for God's help. As you start your day, ask for God's guidance. And as you end your day, thank God for being with you. We can enjoy the privileges we now have because of the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does our new identity in Christ mean and how can we live out this new identity today? Number three, recognize God's presence and intention for your life so that you can live your life according to His purpose. Because of Christ's work on the cross, there are some significant changes that took effect that we need to be aware of. In the following passages, the Bible mentions that we, what we are not and what we are and gives us three images that will help us understand our new identity in Christ. Having a right understanding of our new identity in Christ is again crucial because it will affect our behavior, how we live our lives publicly and privately, and how we will relate with each other as the people of God. Ephesians 2, 19-22 Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into the holy temple of God, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As a result of our reconciliation because of what Christ has done, Paul mentions two things that the Gentiles no longer are and two things that they are today because of Christ. They are no longer counted as strangers and foreigners, labeled as uncircumcised, mentioned in verses 11 and 12, having a different God, hopeless, without direction, and without purpose. But because of Christ, you are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints or with God's people. As fellow citizens with the saints, we get to enjoy the benefits of being a citizen of a country. In other countries, when you are a citizen, you get to enjoy free schooling, medical and social services. You have the right to vote in your country you are a citizen of. And when you are an OFW and you are in trouble in another country, your country of origin will rescue you, they will protect you, and they will bring you safely back home. These are but some of the benefits of being a citizen of a country. And when you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you also get to enjoy the rights and the privileges and the benefits reserved only to those who belong to God's kingdom. Growing up, I was easily afraid of ghosts. 
uh, sometimes even after watching wrestling, you know, The Undertaker, if you are familiar with him, I would have a hard time going to the CR at night because I would imagine in the darkness of the room that when I turn on the lights, that he would be standing right behind me. I was afraid. In our house before, we had a tree in our backyard and it is believed to be the house of dwarves. We were instructed not to touch it or to harm it. Otherwise, the dwarves would be angry and that they would attack us. We also had a black cat and even a black dog before. I don't know if you are familiar with this. It is said that when a black cat walks in front of you, that you should just stay at home. Don't do anything because it means bad luck. Anything you do will fail. So there would be times that you would just be stuck at home because of this. And for many years, I have lived carefully because I thought those were true. But as I discovered who I am in Christ and the privilege that comes with it, I realized that I do not have to live in fear to any of those because as a citizen of God's kingdom, I am sure that God watches over me and that I am protected because I am in Christ. In addition, we are not only citizens of the kingdom, but we are also members of God's household. We get to enjoy not only just the rights, but also the relationships we have with God's people. As members of God's household, we are accepted into the family of God, and others who are in Christ are now our brothers and sisters in Christ. And together, we call God our Father where our relationship is characterized by forgiveness and by love for one another. Notice in the church community, you know, there is warmth and friendliness. The people are always smiling. The people talk to you. They establish friendships. They support each other, encourage each other. There is love and generosity. They treat you lunch. They give you gifts. They wish you well. Sometimes even in sports, you play hard. You bump and you push each other. You intentionally you unintentionally hurt each other, but at the end of the game, you just laugh and share stories and the friendship remains the same. But more than that, we praise God because I have seen and I know many times when some of our church members who would be in need that many of you in our church community would come alongside and help them. You would go even to the extent of getting out of your way to drive them, to send their kids to school, to take care of them, to help them financially, to provide them food. I have seen many times how many of you have just been all out in, in helping others who are in need. This is only possible because there is that special relationship that we all have in Christ Jesus. Further, look at how the Bible describes the people of God in the church in verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Not only are we fellow citizens and members of the household of God, but we are also God's people, God's house. We belong to the holy temple of God, of which Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. This is the third image, and this one relates to our identity in relation to God and worship. The image of us here is that we, the people of God, are like a building which was built on a foundation or the work of the apostles and the prophets who have gone ahead of us. And our cornerstone 
the one which the whole structure depended on is, or is based upon is Jesus Christ. We are the church gathered today and worshiping together because of the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the imagery on how each one of us in verses 21 and 22 are like living stones being fitted together and built together to form this temple. Our lives are stitched together or weaved together. You and I and other believers in the community with different gifts, abilities, talents, nationalities are being built to be a holy temple. So when you look around at the church members seated around you, you look at them differently because they are part of God's holy temple. But what is more fascinating about us as God's holy temple is verse 22. And this amazes me, that you and I and other believers in the community form a temple of God for God to dwell in. He dwells in us. The term dwelling connotes residence. He resides. He is with His people. God, the Holy Spirit, resides or dwells in His earthly sanctuary, which is the church, the body of believers. And we serve a similar purpose, and that is so that other people would know how great a God He is through us. God no longer dwells in the temple made by hands, but He dwells in His church with the people whom He has saved. Collectively as a church, a people of God, I believe that God's presence is in this place. I can't explain what that looks like literally. Where is God's head, God's feet, or His hands? But I believe that His presence is here. And if God's presence is with us, I believe that our response is to worship Him wholeheartedly and to live our lives in holiness because how we live as a church should serve as a witness to the kind of God that we worship and serve. The reason why we go to church is because God is here. God is alive and He moves here. It is in the church that we see lives change. We see the hopeless find hope. We see the hearts that are broken and God heals them. We hear God speaks to us through His Word. We see God, how God blesses people because we worship a living God and He is in our midst. Isn't that amazing? In like manner, individually, the Bible teaches that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in the believer. That is why at times when you do something wrong, you feel guilty because the Spirit of God lives in you. I remember many times it has happened to me when I pay for something and the change is way more than what is right. Sometimes I would think, thank you, Lord, answered prayer, additional budget for my food. But the Lord, through His Spirit, convicts me. So I will return the excess and just take what is right. When you know you are doing something illegal and you don't feel anything, nothing convicts you, there might be something wrong because the Spirit of God resides in His people. He resides in us. He lives in us. In your everyday activities, business errands and transactions, in meeting people, in doing work, remember your identity. You are God's people and He is with you. When we are all alone, God is with us. He lives within His people. He stays close to them. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. 
So how can you live out your new identity in Christ? It is when you recognize God's presence and intention for your life so that you can live your life according to His purpose. God is with you and His intention is for you to be a channel of blessing to others so that others too will know how great a God He is. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, a member of God's household, and a special part of God's temple, and God is with you. So remember, how can we live out our new identity in Christ? Number one, remember where you came from so that you can appreciate what God has done in your life. Understand Christ's sacrifice on the cross so that you can enjoy the privileges we now have because of Him. And recognize God's presence and intention for your life so that you can live your life according to His purpose. A wonderful story is often told about an incident in the life of Poland's famous concert pianist, Ignacy Paderewski, where a mother took her small child to a concert by Paderewski to expose him to the talent of the great pianist. She hoped, as she did, to encourage her son in his piano lessons, which he had just begun and was struggling to continue. They arrived early at the concert and were, and were seated near the front. Standing alone on the stage was a marvelous Steinway grand piano. As they waited for the concert to begin, the mother entered into an animated conversation with the people beside her. Weary of waiting, her son squirmed consistently in his seat and eventually slipped out of it. Making his way into the backstage, the boy found himself strangely drawn to the beautiful instrument sitting before him. Eventually, 8 o'clock came and the lights began to dim. Everyone turned their attention to the stage and the grand piano. The mother looked up and was suddenly horrified. Her son was sitting at the piano and banging out with one little finger, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Oh no, she thought, how am I going to get him down? She was so embarrassed, she began to make her way to the platform when the master pianist, Paderewski himself, appeared on stage. He went over and sat beside the boy, and then he whispered in the child's ear, Don't quit, keep playing. As the little boy continued to play, Paderewski reached down to the piano keys with his left hand, and then his right hand around the young boy and began to fill in and make beautiful harmony and melody out of it. Together, the old master and the young boy held the crowd mesmerized with their beautiful music. Friends, like what the Apostle Paul said in our text today, remember, we were a mess. Our lives didn't make any beautiful music until Christ came alongside us and provided meaning, beauty, and harmony in our lives. He has given us a new identity in Christ. He is with us. May His presence in our lives encourage and empower us to live our lives differently and according to our identity as the reconciled people of God and in a way that will bring God the most glory, honor, and praise wherever we are. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of our new identity in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you stay with us 
all throughout our lives. And our, our prayer, Lord, is that you would empower us to be the individuals that you would want us to be, to be the church that you intended us to be, so that in our lives and in our church, we could bring you the most glory, honor, and praise by our actions, by our behavior, by our lives. We thank you, Lord, for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom our identity is based upon. Thank you, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.